What's going on? Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Sallers. Hope everyone continues to stay safe during Hurricane Laura and also, of course, during COVID-19. Yesterday, we kicked things off with our player recap series with Drew Holiday. Jim Mikenhoff, our coach, joins me once again, as he will for all of these player recaps. Again, we're going to try to have a special guest every day for each one. So today, we focus in on Brandon Ingram and welcome in Andrew Lopez, who covers the Pelicans in the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. Andrew? How's it been like so far? I know the Pelicans have been done for now almost two weeks. Um, I'm sure you're still covering some stuff with with the bubble. How's that been going for you? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting. They've kind of assigned us different series so far. So I had the Raptors in that series. So um, quick four games for me, and yeah. then and now yeah. I think I'm now I think I'm waiting on uh, whatever is next. I don't I don't quite know what we're doing yet, but um, uh, we also have draft stuff coming up. Um, so there's a, there's a lot still to do, and obviously uh, not for this podcast, but there is a coaching search. So yeah. my uh, my time will be you know will will be filled with with things I need to do. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll have you on again once uh, there is a coach named for the New Orleans Pelicans. But today we want to focus in on Brandon Ingram and kind of get your perspective because Brandon Ingram certainly had one heck of the year for the Pelicans, but look, when the trade happened, you're basically seeing a lot of guys that had a lot of potential from the Los Angeles Lakers with Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart. And you kind of figure with Brandon Ingram, you didn't know what you were going to get out of him in this first year. But then you see him come out of the gates, makes his first all-star appearance, averaging almost 25 points per game. Were you surprised at how quickly he was able to transition to a new environment, a new opportunity for himself? Not as much because of the the way he finished, I think the, the, the previous year, um, you know, you, you go back and you look at those stats that he was putting up um, the last, what, tw- basically two months as a Laker. You, you saw this then it was just a matter of, was he going to be that guy or was he going to be the guy he was before? And I think, um, the end of that year, which seems so far away now, <laughs> now that we think mm-hmm. about it, um, you know, over his last 30 games as a Laker, he averaged 20 points, six rebounds, three and a half assists, and was, and was shooting over 50%, 35 and three. Uh, that's the player that I thought they were going to get, and he still took a jump. Um, I think a lot of that uh, has to do with Fred Vincent and the work that they put in on on his jumper, same thing that goes, go, go for, for Lonzo Ball, but um, he took a big, big jump. And you, if you go back and look, he did it uh, efficiently. He did it in about the same amount of minutes he had been playing in the previous two years. He just had an opportunity to let it fly and he was not shy to let it fly for most nights. I know from a Lakers standpoint, of course, with the opportunity to get Anthony Davis, you're going to have to, you know, lose some of your prospects potentially with, with Brandon Ingram and Alonzo Ball, but both of them being number two picks overall. Is it safe to say that it's kind of either whether it's fair or unfair that there's a lot of pressure on these on these guys that are former top five picks to produce right away? And I know everyone wants to grade drafts and go, oh, this team did really well. They have this guy. Or, man, he's not cutting it after one year. Is there unfair pressure on these guys that as former number two picks – we'll continue to start with Brandon – that, you know, he has to be an impact right away. And, you know, he's only 22 years old. You feel like you still have to give him enough time to develop. How much pressure does that put on someone like him, you know, to, to perform right away, especially in a big city like Los Angeles? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you're when you're going to that franchise, 
you're already going to have pressure on you just by being a Los Angeles Laker. You're already, you know, and you were picked in the, in the middle of the, the, the bad years, I guess, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the downtime uh, for, for the Los Angeles Lakers. So when you're coming in as the number two pick in the draft, uh, where, you know, in, in, in fair or not, you're, you're also coming into that draft right behind what everybody thought was like the, the consensus number one guy in Ben Simmons, who if Ben Simmons would have gone to L.A., he would have been the star right away. Right behind you was Jalen Brown. I mean, there was a lot there. And I, I do think that the pressure was on him right away. He he did have to to deal with in you know not as many as much injuries his first season. That was more getting acclimated to the to the NBA. But the second two years, he had to deal obviously with a lot of injuries. Um, but it is a lot of pressure, and I think that number two pick kind of it, it's going to carry with you for a long time. I mean, let's we we can briefly talk about Lonzo Ball real quick. But like I think when it comes to like an extension for Lonzo Ball, uh, I will. If Lonzo Ball was like the number twenty-eight pick in the draft, I don't know if we're having the same conversation as much as is what he would be worth on the open market. So, the I think just the number two overall this is is something that's going to stick with both of them. Uh, at least in in Brandon's case, it did look like he took a jump and, and kind of solidified himself. Of this is why I was the number two pick coming out, putting up twenty-four points a night, six rebounds, four assists, shooting almost forty percent from three finally make you know making an all-star team on his rookie deal he as healthy as he was now he kind of started to solidify himself as look this is why I went where I went and and now it's time for him to to see if he can sustain that once he gets this next contract yeah you know Andrew I think it's it's a really interesting point as far as the pressure that's on any guy that gets picked that high I think that it's a little different when you go to your second team that the, the second team doesn't – it's not the same pressure in terms of the team that you go that you went to for the second team isn't the yeah. one that invested a number two pick in you. But in the case of both Ingram and Lonzo Ball, I think part of the pressure was you're part of this huge package for Anthony Davis and that – but it's just – it's interesting how it's a little bit of a different type of pressure. And I think you'd find um, Markel Fultz is an extreme example, but when he goes to a second team, it's not the yeah. same type of pressure because Orlando didn't – pick him number one but um so I think that is interesting but one of the things that um that I wanted to ask you about Brandon Ingram if we can get back in our time machine and as you alluded to last (laughs) summer feels like it was about I don't know five or six years ago but if if you could go back to the way what you thought of Brandon Ingram last um June or July when that trade was finalized and and you um I know you mentioned how he's finished last season really strong so people had high opinions of him but I mean, when you go back to last summer, did you think that him being an all-star was even realistic? If you think about the Western Conference and how difficult it is to be an all-star, was that something that you even thought was, you know, something that entered your mind as far as the for him? Uh, as my dog makes an appearance on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> he is on the side. The dog didn't like that question, apparently. No, no. She's, she's very much a Brandon Ingram fan. She doesn't like any sort of Brandon Ingram slights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at any point uh, but to be honest Jim no I, I didn't I didn't see him being an all-star this year and, and I don't even know if if even the the biggest Brandon Ingram guy maybe outside of, of, of B.I.'s camp I, I don't know if anybody really saw it because I, I thought he was going to come in I, I did think that he was going to deliver 
the the performance he put up in the last 30 games. I I, I was, I guess that I was on that side of Brandon Ingram. Like, okay, I, th- I, I think he's the 26 and four kid who can shoot maybe 50 from the field, maybe 34, 35 from three. And then he got here, and the three ball was falling, and and it's he was having those those big games early, and you're like, uh, okay, all right. Uh, especially with Zion being out early, you needed somebody to pick up that scoring slack. And I think it was that Houston game early on. He goes 35 and in, in, in 15. Um, the Brooklyn game in the loss, he puts up 40, and he was just coming out extremely hot and I think he was averaging what 26 in his first eight or nine games and that's with the Oklahoma City game where he got knocked out so he was really averaging I think 27 or 28 points and it's like oh okay this is the guy and I think that's who I really thought I was I was surprised I I didn't think that he had uh, you know NBA all-star on him this year I thought he had that potential down the road but I thought that would come uh, later on, but when when Zion was out, they needed somebody to pick up the scoring slack, and, and and Brandon Ingram was there, and he really turned it around. I think you got to give a lot of credit to uh, to to Fred Vince and the entire coaching staff, honestly, for kind of forcing him to take those three point shots in his first. I know we talked about the makes in his first three seasons with the Lakers. He made 127 threes. He made 150 with the Pels this year. Uh, that was 190 games to, compared to 62. Uh, he actually took two more shots from three in his first three seasons, 386 compared to 384 this year. So he was shooting it at a ridiculous rate going up, and he's putting up six threes a game, uh, m- nearly making two and a half. So that, I think, was a, was a big thing. His confidence was there. His mid-range was there. He really kind of, I think, found himself as a, as a player – um, especially one who was trying to go out and prove what kind of money he was worth uh, since he didn't get his extension uh, right before the season. You think that the, the three-point shooting that you just mentioned, is that the mo- was that the most surprising thing to you as far the most surprising aspect of his improvement? It just seems like it's so rare. One of the things that I noted in the article about him in the season review is, how rare it is that you see a guy go from yeah. below average three-point shooting to almost elite. And he also did the same thing at the foul line. I, I can't remember ever seeing that combination before. What, so what was, I think, what was the most surprising aspect of just how, the way he improved this year? It wasn't necessarily the, the percentage um, because he, he shot 39% two years ago from three, but he only shot, uh, I think, hundred threes that not even like he was, he was, he was below average. He didn't make, he, he made 41 threes in 59 games. So he was making less than a three a game. It's the volume that he had along with the percentage increase, um, you know, to, to jump from attempting 1.8 a game to 6.2, but still improving your percentage that much is, is a huge jump. Uh, and then you mentioned the free throw uh, percentage. When you look at somebody's, Typically, when you when you see somebody's three point percentage go up, to try to figure out if that's a blip on the radar or if that's who they are, you can look at the free the free throw percentage to, to see if it correlates. And in Brandon Ingram's case, his as a rookie he shot twenty nine percent from three. Uh, his second year he shot thirty nine percent, and then and then his last year as a Laker he shot thirty three percent. So that thirty nine percent kind of jumped out at first, and it, it made sense because his free throw percentage stayed the same sixty two, sixty eight, sixty seven. Um, 
So for him to to obvious to to improve that free throw percentage to eighty five percent while increasing the three, it, it makes you think this is something sustainable. And I think that's kind of what some people will be like. Okay, well, can he do it? And I think a lot of a lot of people in the analytic community were probably looking at his fast start, going, "Okay, at one point he's going to crash. Mm. When is the crash going to happen?" But as his free throw percentage continued to stay high, I think people were like, "Okay, he's he actually has changed form." And I think. Uh, uh, Kurt Goldberg, I think, has, has written about it. Maybe it was Kevin Pelton. One of our analytics guys basically said it, it, it is, and, and as you pointed out, it is something very rare to do. Um, but showing the, the three-point percentage going up along with the free throw percentage makes, it me, makes me feel that this is going to be uh, something sustainable for Brandon over time. Last thing for me, um, if we could kind of go behind the scenes a little bit with the, you know, the coverage that all of us do of the team. What, what were some of your main impressions of, of Brandon's personality and his approach? It seems like we, we see him after practice every day. I mean, what were some of the things that biggest takeaways that you had of him? Uh, my biggest takeaway from Brandon Ingram is that he likes the word basketball. <laughs> uh, um, I think he likes, he likes sense of urgency as well. I'll throw that in there. That, that uh, I, I, you, you can go back. I, I like, I'll, I'll say this. I, I'm sure you guys have, have Brandon clips on there. Uh, somebody should just go back and listen and just see how many times he says Lord basketball. Like it is, it's, it's not, it's not a dig at Brandon. It's just, he really likes using the word basketball when talking about the game of basketball. Um, the, the other thing about Brandon is he is, he, he's a quiet guy. We, we know that. Um, but when you get him one-on-one, he, he can go and talk about, about the game of basketball. Um, and I remember when I was doing the, that, that feature on him back in, in January, he gave me some of the best quotes when you just get him one-on-one. I know, uh, I think he did a, he did a, a, a sit down with Malika Andrews in, in the bubble before one of their ESPN games. And Malika kind of talked about when, when he's, when he was one-on-one, it was, it was like one of her better interviews she had did in the bubble. And he, he's a very insightful guy. He's always going to put things on him. I think I remember, I remember that 40 point game in Brooklyn. It's like his 40 point game. It's one of his breakout games. And, and he's worried about things that he could have did better. Uh, you go back and look in the bubble. I think it, whether it was the Utah game or uh, I think it might've been the Utah game. He's like, well, if I don't make three turnovers at the, at the end of the game, or if I don't miss two assignments, we win the game when, when you had arguably the best game on the team. So he he's very much. And I think that's something as a Pels fan, I would want in my, in, in one of my leaders on the team is somebody who can go out there and really just n- is never satisfied. And, you know, he can look at this year and go, okay, I was an all-star. I averaged 23. I, I did this, but my overall field goal percentage dipped. Um, you know, maybe I don't want 39%. I want 40%. And I think Brandon is always going to be that kind of guy. And I think, um, you know, I've kind of heard that it, he, he wasn't happy about the bubble exit. He wasn't happy about that. And, um, you know, Popeye's ads aside, I'm sure, sure that he's probably gotten right back to work. Um, by the way, is that not a perfect uh, marriage between 
player and add between, I mean, Brandon Ingram and just being able to have to eat Popeyes every day. I mean, I, I would think some people are kind of going to want that as Brandon tries to put on some weight. But Well, that, that uh, was one of my questions to you was going to be, how do we get a deal with Popeyes? Like, we can sit here and eat Popeyes and discuss the show. I mean, how, 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 do, we get a, how do we get an endorsement, whether it's Popeyes or not, just some sort of food deal that we can just sit here and chow down while, while we're talking basketball? How, probably, how do we make that happen? We probably need to get Brandon Ingram's agent or – average 24 points in the nba that might be one of those two things the first uh, one might be more realistic than the second but that's a i maybe i don't i don't know um so but i i think to to me brandon is a great piece uh that you can build around going forward uh, obviously he is a restricted free agent uh coming up this year to me i think it's it's obviously you know he tried to to kind of talk about it I think the, the last time we talked to him and he, he mentions, you know, you know, Pels are going to be high on my list. And he tries to talk about like, Oh, you know, what, what, you know, he's going to try to like visit teams and do all this other stuff. But in the same vein, I think the very next answer, he's like, yeah, we have a chance to be really good next year and we're going to, and we can do this. And so I, I think he's going to be a part of, uh, of what you're trying to build here um, for the long term, And I think it's, He's just going to that, – that's the kind of guy that I would want to help, uh, you know, want to build around. You mentioned, you know, him working so hard and wanting to, you know, his field goal percentage go from maybe 39 to 40 or up his three-point percentage. So he's constantly working. So if you had to pick something that he maybe is going to focus on in the offseason to work on, whether it's, you know, physical attribute or whether it's part of his game that he may need to get better at, what, what do you think that would be for him? Uh, I'm going to let him answer this and it's going to be defense. And I think mm -hmm. that's, that's something that he said at the, um, in that final, that final interview, we asked him, what, what was he going to do? And he said, uh, he's going to work on being a two-way player. Um, he's got the offense down. I think even as, as he would admit, he does not have the defensive side down. Uh, he, he did average a, a steal a game. His, his blocks were in line with his career average, but I think he knows he was, he was not, uh, the best defender this year. And I think for him to take that next step, I'm not saying he has to become Drew Holiday. Uh, he doesn't have to be a, uh, you know, a first team all defensive kind of guy. But uh, if he can take a jump on that side, then you're looking at somebody who can be very, very dangerous. And you don't have to, you can maybe give him, you know, a top two assignment in a game, uh, you know, for certain stretches. You don't have to try and, uh, and, and, and move things around. Now, whether whether he's a six nine and a half two guard, uh, as as somebody brought up last week, uh, or he's a he's a small ball six nine four, uh, if you're spreading the floor and going really crazy with, you know, Zion at the five, maybe Josh Hart out there to guard for whatever you want to do, um, he needs the versatility I think to be able to guard two three four, uh, and I think that's what it would if I'm Brandon Ingram and I think that's what he is going to do. Um, I would uh, I would focus on that, and then you know let's let's be real. Maybe maybe eating a couple chicken sandwiches a day from Popeyes <laughs> will help help get him into uh, maybe maybe put him at you know instead of one ninety, maybe he gets him to two hundred five, two ten, and he can handle it a little bit better. Well, is that something that are you? And again, this might be more a question for him, but is that somewhere you're watching more film to learn about the defensive side, whether it's a defensive scheme for the Pelicans or just how you are, whether it's your IQ or guarding the basketball, or is that take physical, you know, I need to get quicker, stronger, to defend multiple positions. How does that work for an NBA player? The fans are probably asking, how do you work on defense in the offseason? 
kind of how how does that go for someone like Brandon? I I I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, you're going to watch film. You're going to want to see where you where you're you know you're messing up. And I think Brandon watches a lot of film. He does that. He is he is very much a student of the game and and is really featured in what he is trying to do. Um, I do think maybe having a little bit of more weight, if he's going to have to guard fours, uh, you you would probably want a little bit more weight. However, if he's going to be guarding more threes and twos, he needs to get quicker. So I think I think he tries to work on all of that. Um, you know, I we, we know these guys are already getting back to work. We saw, or, you know, the other day, Lonzo Ball was working on the beach, doing doing some speed training drills, some agility drills with Trey Young and, some, and a trainer out there in L.A. So uh, these guys have already turned the page to next season. Uh, even though they were what well, they were eliminated last week, uh, so the the downtime I think that you normally associate with an NBA season sometimes guys take two, three, four weeks off. Uh, these young guys are are getting back at it; they're ready to go. And I think uh, that's what you're going to see from Brandon too. Is you're going to see him really try to uh, improve himself on that end, get a little bit quicker. And and you know he's got the wingspan. He's he's got what seven two, seven three out there. Like he is, he's got some of the longest mm-hmm. arms. So I, I think what you're going to see is him, him put a little – he's going to put some, you know, so, some time in on that end to, to make sure that he's, he's ready to go. Before I let you go, let's, let's keep the page on this season for just a second as the NBA playoffs are, are going on here. And as we're taping on a Tuesday for a Wednesday podcast here, we don't have the results tonight of, of Dallas, L.A., and Utah, and Denver. But what has stuck out to you, Andrew, with the first rounds coming to an end what stuck out to you about the playoffs, whether it's a surprise team or surprise player or just the competitiveness in general? I think it's the, the overall quality of game. Uh, and that was even going back to the bubble, uh, the seeding games. Uh, there was your occasional blowout, but for most part, most of these games, everybody was, was at least in heading into the fourth quarter. And I think that is, was, was one of my big takeaways. I think uh, Utah has kind of surprised me. Uh, being able to jump out three one on Denver um, again, they could have they could lock it up by the time you listen to this tomorrow <laughs> on, on on Wednesday. Um, that was a big one. Um, the way the Lakers have responded to to that first uh, that that loss to, to Portland, and I mean last night they were just clicking. But I mean, if the Lakers are playing on Mamba Day, I'm pretty sure it's going to be an easy victory for uh, for 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 the lakers um and then the the other thing is uh, in the eastern conference there have been three sweeps and the one team that didn't is the number one seed the milwaukee bucks uh who who dropped their first game uh to the orlando magic so that's kind of i guess where uh we're kind of some of my bigger takeaways you just led me into one quick thing i was going to ask you (laughs) i've spent the last probably a year, maybe two years saying, you know, hey guys, we know that the West is way tougher than the East, but it's the, the gap is starting to shrink. And I guess my question is, do I need to pull back a little bit on that based on the way things have gone so far in the playoffs? You know, I, I still think, I still think the gap is there. However, uh, it, it, the NBA, I mean, I think the, the East is deeper than what it used to be. And you have, you're, you're going with you know before my i mean miami was the the five seed and and obviously indiana was missing some bonus but i think if you could have gone six deep in the east this year of teams that had a legitimate chance to to make the finals if indiana and philly were both healthy 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, obviously Philly with Ben is a completely different animal. Um, Philly at home was a completely different animal. If they would have just pretended that uh, Walt Disney World was actually Philadelphia, uh, you know, maybe Philly would have swept Boston. We don't know. Um, so to, to me, that's kind of, they're, they're getting there. And I, I still think seven, eight, nine, ten in the West is better than seven, eight, nine, ten yeah. in the East. Um, but Orlando went out there to, to prove a point that we're, you know, we're still going to play. Obviously, Brooklyn is, is going to be uh, really, really good next year when you add, you know, KD and Kyrie and, and, and everything else to that team. So uh, the East is starting to catch up. I don't think it can match the depth of the Western Conference because when you look at the West next year, this is what I tell people. I mean, the Pels can make a 10 – let's say the Pels win 11 more games next year and they go 500. They still might be 12 for 13th in, in the Western Conference, the way things look. I mean – you obviously have the eight playoff teams this year. Memphis is right there. Uh, the Spurs are always going to be the Spurs. The Warriors are sitting in the back. You still have, uh, you know, Phoenix didn't lose. Phoenix hasn't lost the game since March, uh, even though they play in the bubble. Mm-hmm. So the West is just, it's, it's deeper. I mean, you can go, you could probably make an argument next season at, at this point for 12 or 13 teams to, to think they have a chance to make the playoffs next year. Um, whereas in the East, it's probably, okay, we got a top seven and now, now let's figure out what else is, who's, who's going to be there for eight. Is it going to be Orlando? Is, are the wizards going to be fine? Um, so I, I think to me, that's kind of where it's at, but it's, it's, it's still West is King for now. You And you make a good point real quick about how a lot of the bottom half of the Eastern playoff teams this year that just got swept have injury concerns. So that, that, that is, that's a fair point as far as if Indy's healthy, if Philly's healthy. Brooklyn and Orlando, even though people didn't hold those teams in super high regard based on the season, I mean, if they – it's incredible how many guys that those teams have out, especially Brooklyn. So, oh, uh, yeah, and I mean, I, mean I, I forgot about Orlando not having – I mean, they won that first game without having Jonathan Isaac, without having Aaron Gordon. Yep. Uh, Evan Fournier was just coming back from an injury. So uh, kudos to, to Jacques Vaughn and Steve Clifford for the job that those guys did because it would have been very easy – even though Brooklyn was swept, they were fighting every game. And there was a couple of games where the Raptors got up 20, 25, and then, and then the Nets made it a, a close game. They were one possession really away from kind of stealing maybe game two or three. Yeah. Um, the Magic obviously go out and beat Milwaukee in, in the first game. They're, that series is still alive. But uh, there's so, like, a lot of injury concerns there where those two teams could have could have folded and packed it in, and, and, and they didn't. So, you know, kudos to Jock Vaughn in, in Brooklyn and – uh, Steve Clifford in Orlando for getting those jobs done. Well, my Zoom is telling me I have a few more minutes left because I have not upgraded <laughs> to pro. So that means we've had a good long discussion here on Brandon Ingram in the playoffs. So kudos to you all um, for coming on today, or kudos to Andrew, as Jim will be with me throughout these player recaps. Um, Andrew, I appreciate the time. Stay safe during all this with the hurricanes and COVID. Um, again, it's been weird interacting all this time with Zoom as we haven't seen you in months and months. And I look forward to the next time that we actually are able to. No problem, man. Me too. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. We'll put a bow on this week and play recaps with Zion Williamson later on. So stay tuned on when that will be and who the guests will be with that. But until then, for Jim and Andrew, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.